2022 is off to an incredible start here on the People of Packaging podcast as I get to share an interview I did with Chandru Wadwani. Chandru is a managing director at ExtruPet. You can see here, if you're watching this, that ExtruPet is doing some incredibly innovative things when it comes to PET and plastic recycling in Africa. Chandru is in South Africa. He has a silky smooth voice and is changing the industry for the better. Hey, this episode is being brought to you by Specrite. Specrite is the world's leader in specification management. They have a specification management summit that myself I'll be at. Corey Connors from the Sustainable Packaging Podcast will be at. Avelio Matos from Package Design Unboxed will be at. And we'll be covering the summit live if you follow us on LinkedIn on January 18th through the 20th. You can also go get their book, Matthew Wright's book on Amazon, or you can download it for free. You can go to specright.com, S-P-E-C-R-I-G-H-T.com to see all that they are doing to help companies not only drive innovation, drive sustainability, but make sure that they are keeping their products on the shelf. So check out what Specright is doing at specright.com backslash PKG. Now, we kick off 2022 with a bang with the incredible, the one and only Chandru Wadwani. Let's get to that interview. Oh, here. Chandru, we are recording our podcast finally. We, we've, we've translated our relationship from Clubhouse to Zoom. One, the, 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 few, the few people who have made this, as we were talking about, the few people who have made the Clubhouse transition to an actual interaction outside of the outside of that platform so i'm excited to have you well, on the podcast thank you the true testimony of any social media platform it's well and good you connect virtually but you've got to be able to grow those relationships so i appreciate the opportunity looking forward to this now candidly uh, i will i will let you know um i really only reached out because you have the silkiest voice of anybody in the packaging industry just so you're aware and, and i and i hope that you know you you are you are aware of this uh that i just you know i i need for you to like announce my like record me walking into a room and then i can just play it through a speaker or something and everyone will think that i'm i'm very i'm very regal so obviously it's a low bar adam and it was one of the primary reasons i entered the industry because i had nothing else going for me but I will gladly announce the entry of Mr. Adam Peak is now in the room. Okay. Thank you. I, we'll work on it. Uh, I mean, I we'd have to figure out if we'd go with Reverend Adam Peak because that's kind of fun. Um, you revered know, the, Adam Peak. The as well, maybe the revered Adam Peak has entered Adam the room. Peake. Yeah, has a nice ring. I like yeah, that. yeah, I like it. I like it. We'll uh, I'll pray about it and just figure out, you know, where, where I, and it's also a little pretentious, honestly, you probably won't do it. It's a bad idea. It's actually the worst idea I've ever had. So why don't we go it's to a, a podcast interview? <laughs> it is Let's a go. pretentious world. Well, I am joined by Chandru Wadwani. Did I nail it, Chandru? Perfect. Perfect. Thank you. And, and Chandru and I did meet up, um, on a, a weekly clubhouse that that I do with Corey Connors and Avelio Matos, who if you're not connected with them and you're listening to the podcast, I highly recommend 
going and checking out their podcast. They have the Sustainable Packaging Podcast with Corey Connors and Package Design and Box with Avelio Matos. They do great work. And so we host a room and Chandru would jump in and answer any and all questions that we had about recycling, uh, specifically PET recycling, uh, um, amongst many other things. So uh, I thought, boy, we got to get this guy on the podcast. Uh, so live and coming all the way from South Africa, Chandru, welcome. Thank you, Adam. Real pleasure to be here. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I know that my introduction is the silkiest, smoothest voice and all the packaging is probably enough, but I'm sure there's a lot more to uh, to who you are. So why don't you do a quick introduction to the listeners on what it is you do and um, some of the, some of your passions in the packaging industry? Gladly. Um, 20 years ago, a unique opportunity presented itself. I was living in the UK at that time and met my wife to be in Italy of all places, and she hails from Vancouver, Canada. Um, the opportunity was to come and run a new uh, recycling business in Johannesburg, South Africa, a place I'd never been to, a place, funny enough, back in those days, we were cautioned not to go to. It was a new democracy uh, with challenges, a lot of uh, coverage about security issues, uh, but realizing I had to do something meaningful in life and, you know, set down roots so I could aspire to the Volvo and the 2.2 children and maybe the dog. Uh, the deal was she would then go back to Vancouver. I would go to Johannesburg, spend a year there before we got married. And given that I was only on a two-year assignment, the deal was she was only coming for a year. But long story short, uh, it's now been 20 years, a lot of it to do with the fact that PET and plastics in general have become so ubiquitous, so popular. Um, on the back of economies that forever look to grow singularly without thinking about, with growth on the back of consumption comes extra waste, what do you do with it? So on the one hand, great opportunity to really make a go of something and a life out of it and develop a passion, which I have. But on the other hand, boy, do you get insights into how do we as civilizations live uh, from what we throw away. So the primary function of what I do is run the business still till 20, for the last 20 years that we've just grown on scale and, and geographically. Do you have a fancy title? Joint Managing Director. Wow, the joint managing director of and the yeah. name of the company. Extrude Pet. So extrude from the extrusion side, as is very common to plastics, and PET being the focus of what we do. Not the only plastic we do, but by far the biggest stream of what we do. Got it. And and so I've got and, and I'm guessing your your wife, uh, you you haven't had a long distance marriage. Right, she, she didn't stay no, in Vancouver. No. no, you talk about uh, happily wedded ever after based on a lie. And that's my photograph there. Um, 19 years later, she's still with me. Our two sons are born in Johannesburg. Um, the elder one is soon to turn 17. The younger one, 13. And still with me, although uh, like all great marriages, once a week, <laughs> there is that veiled threat. <laughs> So in a way, COVID was a blessing when they locked down all the airports. <laughs> she had nowhere to <laughs> She had nowhere to go. Probably, sun, 
That's probably oh, sounding really wrong. I yeah, assure yeah. you she's a free woman. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, well, congratulations on, on uh, you. you said 19 years of marriage? 19, and next year will be our 20th uh, anniversary. Well, very uh, good. Next year. We, my you. wife and I have our 19th anniversary in March of next year. So that's, uh, that's exciting. We're, we're excited for our 20th. Maybe for our 20th, I can convince her to go with me to South Africa and the, the 72nd uh, mutation of COVID will have finally dissipated and we can travel by 2023. Or the cure. Or the I mean, cure. How wonderful it would be if we mutated the virus to the point that it actually became the cure of the virus. We've been known to do that before as well. Now we are we are getting way beyond the bounds of not only the podcast, but also anything that I know anything about. But I'm sure, I'm sure, Chandru, that I could log into Facebook right now and find many of my closest friends who have very passionate opinions about a topic of which they only know what their passionate friends are feeding them about, about the, the coronavirus. So we'll... Uh, We'll, we'll press pause on that. Maybe that's a, that's an in-person um, over adult, uh, over adult beverages conversation when I can, when I can finally make to South Africa, it's been on my list for a while. So look forward to it. Yeah. So let me, let, let me ask a few questions about, since this is a packaging podcast about sure. the work that you're doing for PET recycling and plastic recycling. Is it primarily in the country of South Africa that you are collecting and uh, I'm guessing having there's some sort of value on the end stream that you are then selling the recycled PET or is it collecting from all of Southern Africa or all over the world? You know what? Walk me through this process because I don't think a lot of people quite understand the recycling process. Even in the industry, we don't really understand the recycling process. So what where do you fit in the value stream of recycling and where does it come from and where does it go so recycling is definitely unique but the starting point is probably very common to any business and that's all to do with critical mass because any business will need a level of investment to get it going how do you justify it is you either can make enough or sell enough uh, of a product to justify the investment so at inception when we started back in the year 2000 one, Johannesburg, which is the industrial heartland um, and consumption heartland of South Africa, was our starting point, just purely on PET bottles. 20 years later, uh, we have now two plants in Cape Town processing bottles from the whole Western Cape region. Uh, they also receive bottles from Namibia, which is just north of the Western Cape. Uh, Johannesburg receives bottles from all the neighboring countries, Zimbabwe, uh, Mozambique, Botswana, uh, we're expecting our first loads to arrive uh, of bottles from Botswana, oh, sorry, from Zambia um, and the DRC. And recently we started the importation of PET flakes from Tanzania and Kenya. And a lot of that has good as those countries are coming Hey, Chandru, your internet seems to be. Hey, Chandru, your, your, your internet is cutting out. So, 
All right, we're back. We had a little uh, internet uh, connection issue, um, but Chandra, you were you were mentioning that. So you were saying you're you're, in, you're importing now from um, all sorts of different regions uh, within within Southern Africa, and then even mentioning getting up into East Africa, uh, Kenya, and Tanzania. And then and then I, I lost you. So do you want to continue on with that thought? Absolutely. Um, so one of the reasons we import from there is because they don't yet have enough critical mass volume to justify the investments in recycling machinery, which are incredibly expensive, especially on the PET side, especially if you aspire to go to what's known as bottle to bottle recycling. But um, our plan is probably next year we'll start laying down routes to set up one of the first uh, recycling uh, businesses there that can take PET back uh, to a bottle. And since 2004, we've been running a small operation in Mauritius. Now, Mauritius is an island four hours flight from Johannesburg. It's in the Indian Ocean. It's a paradise island, very popular with the tourists, especially the French and the English and the Europeans. But on an island, where do you put your waste? And dig enough holes and eventually you'll sink the island. So for the better part of the last 15 years, we've been recycling bottles there the flake of which uh, comes to our plants uh, in Johannesburg and Cape Okay, so you've said a couple of, uh, of phrases and um, I, I think it's really fascinating. So you said that you're, you are, you said you're importing flakes. So you're, are, you're collecting in, um, what'd you say? It was, it was, Mar how'd you say it? Mauritius. Mauritius. All right. Uh, so, so you're collecting in, uh, are, so you're collecting bottles and you have a processing plant and then you're taking the PET flakes and bringing them into Johannesburg. Is that what you said? Correct. So from the, uh, our first preference as a recycler is always to get it in a bottle, but because at some point transport costs will make it unviable, you then start semi-processing it into flake where you can, or you buy it from people who already do that part of the business. But where we can get it in bottles, which is like from the neighboring countries, Mozambique, Zimbabwe, Botswana, Namibia, that's our preferred choice. The further away you go, uh, purely because of logistic costs, you then bring it in uh, in a flake form. Okay. And so the when you say a flake, are you talking about if I have, if you've got, you know, a, a truckload of, PET, water, soda bottles, whatever it might be. And they're going to go through and get, you know, what is it? Is it chopped up and into, into small, and would those be the flakes? And then those get put into some sort of container and then they come to you in South Africa. Is that correct? Absolutely right. It's a process called granulation. Okay. So just a little bit on, on the process of recycling PET bottles is you tend to get them in a bale form. Um, they'll be contaminated with other types of plastics and other foreign contamination. So the first job is to sort them out. So many times they'll mistake a PVC bottle for a PET bottle. Mm -hmm. So you have to make sure you remove the non-PET. And once you have it to a point where it's a pure form of a pure stream of PET, you stick it into a granulator, even with the closures and the labels on, as long as those labels and closures are made from polyolefins. Reason being is once you've granulated them up, you can separate the two by using water because the densities of PET and polyolefins are different. 
So when we refer to a flake, it's uh, cut down or granulated down to usually about a 12 to 14 millimeter size. So it's pretty much like cornflakes in your hands. Got it. And the, the, the sorting is that, does that tend to be done by hand? Is that done by machine? How does that happen? So in Mauritius, where we do a hundred tons a month, that's by hand. But in Johannesburg, where we're doing in excess of hundred tons a day, those are done by what are known as NIR sorters, near mm. infrared. And they pretty much use light technology where bottles on a conveyor belt will pass through a light. The reflection rate of the light is picked up by sensors and that detects what kind of polymer it is because different polymers will reflect light at a different rate. And then what you have is a series of air nozzles on the top that in that split second where it's picked up, it's not PET, it fires a nozzle as the bottle is hurtling through midair. This is like a super villain hero movie or something. It blows it out of your mainstream. So once you get to, to volume, uh, you need those machines and uh, they're incredibly expensive. And that's why some individual countries struggle to justify those kind of investments. It, do they also, if it's, that's the first time I've ever heard of the light, which is, I've, I've seen the light now, there you go. Uh, so does that also help to detect the difference between clear and colored PET so that you can separate those out or is it just PET? Absolute. Okay. So you have uh, bottle sorters that are polymer specific. Uh, you have bottle sorters that are designed to be color specific. And you now have bottle sorters that have integrated the two where it can simultaneously detect polymer and color as well. Wow. The, it, and so I, I think I know what the answer to this is, but just so people are aware, there's been a lot of news now about like Sprite has, has changed their bottles from green to clear and um, in order to have a better sustainability footprint. Uh, what can you talk to a little bit about why that matters as as somebody who is collecting and then um you know this would even speak to sort of the end of life of what your what your value streams are and where you sell your recycled pet so what's the difference between like clear or uh or just can you know colored pet as when it's when it's recycled Great question, applies to a lot of products today, is that if you don't design end of life in the beginning, you limit the end uses and as such it's recyclability. So what happens is when you add a color to a polymer, you limit its ability to become the same product again. Mm -hmm. So it's very hard uh, to collect enough green bottles in isolation to have a dedicated plant to only recycle those back to a green bottle. And what's happened now globally, there's such a rampant demand for what's known as food grade RPET, which is the bottle to bottle stuff, that brand owners like Coca-Cola have realized they influence the availability of the end product based on the feedstock that comes in. Right. So what was happening before is we did collect green bottles. They are technically still recyclable but there were very few end use markets that could use it. Now, over and above the bottle to bottle recycling, we also run a polyester fiber plant in Cape Town. 
We also make a product called PET strapping, which is an industrial grade product. Those can use green bottles, but those market sizes are limited. Mm -hmm. So once you've collected what you need to feed the market, there's a whole surplus of green bottles that never get collected and are just destined to landfill. Not because they're not technically recyclable. There's just no end use market. Yeah. But what they're finding now is make all the bottles clear and suddenly you're tapping into insatiable demand that's out there and filling the hole because there's excess demand and a shortage of supply. So Coca-Cola who needs and Pepsi who need more and more food grade RPET have finally realized that they influence the availability of that based on feedstock. Yep. So if there are not enough clear bottles out there, it's hard for us to make more of that food grade output. So that's really what's driving that transition more than anything else. Typically, the the bottles would be, you know, they'd be green or blue or whatever the color is, not because of some sort of functional value, like you'll get like amber glass because it is is needed to better protect the you know the wine or whatever whatever it is right like there can be a real value to product protection but in and a lot of uses it's just a marketing it, it it has been traditionally just a way to stand out on shelf which i'm not i'm not i don't want to dilute that point but at the same time if if you're trying to do that and then and then also simultaneously demand food grade our pet there's going to be a huge disconnect there i would imagine Absolutely right. Um, and again, it's for me in 20 years of living this, what's the bane of recycling and sustainability? It's marketing. And sure, one out of 10 times, there's functionality issues where you need that color uh, in there. Uh, the other bugbear for us these days is shrink sleeve labels mm -hmm. from PET and PVC. More often than not, they're just purely for the aesthetics and the marketability and not really consider, considering recycling. Thankfully now, because you know, EPR is becoming mandatory, because consumers are becoming more aware about product design and what it means for end of life, we're starting to witness that many brand owners, not just Coca-Cola, are really engaging the recycling fraternity and having those difficult conversations about, okay, what do we need to do uh, to make the changes? And the good news now is on shrink sleeve, we think we found a solution that we're hoping to launch uh, next year. So sometimes there's win-win solutions, but sometimes there's just where they've got to put hand on heart, except they're doing it purely for marketing aesthetics and they're condemning the packaging then to the landfills. Yeah. And with so many of these corporate, uh, these corporate social responsibility documents and claims and proclamations by larger companies, not just the beverage companies, but P&G and uh, Unilever and everyone part of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, all these things. It's like to, to be going to post-consumer recycled content, but then be designing your products. Like where we're, there's not going to be enough supply for these companies to hit their goals. And I, from what I can gather and there's, there's supposed to be a report coming out on this fairly soon. Um, from what I can gather, it's a really large gap between what companies are saying they're going to do and our current availability to process and get um, not just PET, but HDPE and polypropylene into back into the market 
like there's going to have to be incredible innovations in the next an expansion in the next five to 10 years for these companies to hit their goal. I'm not saying it's, it's a bad problem, especially for somebody like yourself, like having that kind of energy is probably good, but globally speaking, we're going to have to really, we're going to have to really figure this out. So good. Again, you said it, not a bad problem to have. Right. And 20 years of doing this where we've been screaming, you know, top of our lungs, about convincing brand owners to use more because really what drives investments is demand. Mm -hmm. So we can all put up fancy recycling plants, put up fancy collection systems, deposit systems, but ultimately the premise of all recycling is collect and do what? And it's that do what element that we've ignored for so long that now we've got this challenge that there's not enough capacity on the ground. Well, guess what? That's on the brand owners. So for any of them to use that as the excuse to not promote what's going on mm -hmm. and to lament the sad situation is their own doing. So for me, it's a wonderful problem to have because guess what's happening now? In the old days, if you wanted to buy a state-of-the-art food-grade R-PET decontamination plant that had the approvals of brand owners like Coca-Cola, Pepsi, you might wait seven months. Today, you're waiting 18 months. So that's a great reflection, as problematic as it is for us who want to grow and buy more machines. It's a great sign for us as a civilization to say, wow, that's what we want to see. Yeah. You know, unlike maybe fossil fuels, where it takes 10 years to put up a refinery, we don't want to be hearing that there's a backlog of refineries waiting to come on stream because that has serious climatic issues for us. Right. But if we're hearing that it's taking longer and longer to get recycling machines. That's actually a good thing right now. I've got a few more questions and then we'll, we'll wrap up, but we, I feel like sure. we could have, we, we could talk about this for a while because it's such a, it's such a fascinating topic to me. One that is, is being fueled by so much innovation. We're starting to see more and more news about it. And, and, but there's such a lack of education. It seems like that's out there. So um, my, my questions are really specific to my background. So I've worked mostly sure. in secondary packaging product decoration. So labels, flexible packaging, folding cartons. That's my, that's where I've uh, litho laminated corrugated boxes. That's kind of where I've lived for the majority of my packaging career. So one question that I had is on, uh, labels and, and you talked about shrink sleeves being a problem. Um, is there an issue if you have a, for example, a, a polypropylene pressure sensitive, you know, adhesive label on a clear PET bottle? Does, does something like that present problems or I, I've, I've always been unclear because there's also like Avery Dennison has a clean flake that, you know, will release from it. But if you don't have that, like what actually happens in the granularization is that what it was called granulation so not so much the granulation but the process after granulation is what's known as hot wash okay and the purpose of the hot wash is the glue residual removal from yep. the bottle because granulation won't do that for you so the quality of glue you use influences the efficiency of removing that because any glue re residue now a lot of these glues have melting temperatures, plus minus 80, 90 degrees on the hot melts. PT melts are close to 300 degrees. So if there's any glue left on that flake when you take it into extrusion, 
that glue is going to carbonize. Now, once mm -hmm. it carbonizes, you don't end up with clear material, you end up with discolored material. Got it. And nobody can make a bottle from that again. So the evolution of Clear Flake and now UPM have come out with their own version, FCF, mm -hmm. is to just aid the process. But really what was interesting, and we still struggle with it today, more problematic than the pressure-sensitive polyprop label, is we still have people using paper labels on right. PET bottles, not realizing that's actually more problematic. So in the case of the polyprop pressure-sensitive with the glue, it was something we could manage before, but thank you, Avery, thank you, UPM. They've made it a lot easier for us, which is a great sign. But I put it to you, and I don't know if you've seen the Avion bottle that came out earlier this year, or the Coke bottle prototype they just launched last month, the labelless bottle. Got it. So when you talk to label guys, it's funny how they struggle with the idea of just making it more recycling friendly. And then you kind of tap on their window and say, by the way, have a look at the future. Yeah. It's no label. <laughs> yeah, that's fascinating. Totally lost them. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, that's not that's not a scary proposition. It shouldn't be. I mean, it, it, I guess look, you work for it, a label printing company, it could be scary. But at the end of the day, what what's what's better so so the so sorry just to make sure just make sure i'm clear sure. so the 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 latest product from upm raffle tech and the clear flake that just it, it just enhances the ability when it goes through the hot wash for the for the adhesive to break off and for the label to chain float or something mm -hmm. like that not only break off but what happens is it stays on the label so when you then put it back in water after the what's called a flotation tank, uh -huh. it's just a water bath. Uh, when you put it in after the hot wash, the label will float and the PET flake will sink. Got but it. In the old days, some of the glue would still reside on the flake. Got now it. Now with okay. products like Clear Flake, the glue resides on the label, which is floated off. So your purity of flake has now improved which means in essence, it's got another life built into it to go become the next bottle, as opposed to having to downcycle it to a product like fiber or something else. Okay, I got it, that makes sense. But you would not know necessarily if that flake still had adhesive on it or not until, so we do. until it carbonized so we do. you do now? Well, we do, lab, we do lab testing on flakes. Okay. So if we see batches with high levels of glue, we do an oven test and then you get a visible reflection of what's happening because okay. when you take it up to like 200 degrees, the flake wouldn't have melted, but glue residue would have discolored. So you get a visual reference that you can calculate and measure. And if it's not to standard, then you downgrade it to something like fiber application, which is not then being circular. Um, but ideally you don't want to be there in the first place. Yeah. What we're starting to see now in South Africa is a transition where eventually all self-adhesive labels will be made from the recycling friendly options. Got it. Yeah, that's, and we probably lost some people there. They're like, I don't care about this. So I'm like, well, I do. Yeah. All right. This is really important. To me. I think it's fascinating stuff that, that a, and, and quite frankly, it's one of those things that I, I don't think most like if, if you're a if you're a label salesperson or if you are a, a PET bottle salesperson, you're probably not 
getting down to the granular level of understanding what actually happens. And so you're selling a label and you're selling a bottle and then a brand owner slapping it on there and they're covering the bottle, you know, 80% with either or hundred percent with the shrink sleeve or 70% with a, a label where that's not, not friendly to recycling. And nobody has any idea because the consumer is going to look at it and go, Oh, I can, this is recyclable. And they're going to throw it in the recycling bin. And now it's someone else's problem. And I, I have become passionate over the last call it five, six, seven years of really trying to help just understand for myself so that I can be useful in, in the conversation way upstream, you know, instead of, instead of uh, just creating more problems. So I think that's why mandatory EPR schemes now are really focusing on brand because who mm. ultimately influences and the notion that we're going to educate every consumer is, is, is already a flawed notion. Right. It's failed. We've tried it in the past. You know, we just don't seem to make any traction on, on that. So brand owners are the ones who are going to be held accountable. The beauty on the back of that is organizations like the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, the plastic packs of which U.S. has one now, South mm -hmm. Africa has one, is they're coming out with these design guidelines. Because what's the other challenge, you know? for the likes of yourself and packaging designers, it was never part of the curriculum. Right. Design had to be first fit for purpose. It then had to be as economical and efficient as possible. You know, sustainability became the afterthought, but we didn't teach the skills to the guys who are at the coalface. And worse still, we didn't engage with the recycling fraternity. You know, we kind of felt that we would put the square peg in the round hole and the recyclers would come along and fix the problem. And for years, we've been saying as well, why don't you engage us from the beginning? Right. Because then we can have these conversations to say, well, why are you using that label? Why are you not thinking about the alternative? And that's kind of what's happening now and giving me a lot of hope and encouragement mm -hmm. that we'll, we'll make those meaningful changes. Yeah, no doubt. It's, it, I, I see it happening already. I think there's a lot of work that's already being done. You mentioned a couple of great initiatives. There's... More and more people, I think, are, are realizing that transparency, uh, collaboration, all of this stuff has to happen if we're gonna, if we're gonna fix you know, this part of it. And, and really innovation too. I, I see a ton of people innovating and you know, what's gonna stick, what's not gonna stick, I don't know, but why would we cut off any innovation in when, it, when, it, when it comes to contributing to circularity? So I, 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 I like you, have hope. So traditionally, it was cost. Yeah. You know, I think you're going to find that in many instances, there's going to be an upcharge. Mm -hmm. But we've forgotten that not making products circular mean they end up in waste. There's a cost to society for waste management. We all pay bills to have refuse collected. Ultimately, landfills will affect air quality, will affect our water quality, could affect our food quality if they're not already. So people forget we're already bearing cost. So, I mean, we bought innovation to South Africa back in 2009. I think it's taken us 10 years to get to the point where people are now starting to celebrate mm -hmm. the uh, innovation. But the notion that it just gets adopted when it's there, and I feel sometimes for these innovators, you know, who've got the wonderful, most wonderful ideas and they just can't seem to get traction too yeah. early for their time. Yeah. Hopefully that's what, what's changing now. I hope so as well. Uh, well, Chandra, we are uh, we're up against the time, and I have so many more questions that I just looked. I was like, oh, geez, 
So uh, <laughs> another what, time, another time. Yeah, for sure. I, I, and I mean this, um, I, I would, I, it would be fascinating to come and see your facility. And I, I mean, there's, I've, I, that's my favorite part about my job is just seeing how stuff gets made and what the process is. And I just, I can't get enough of it. Um, even though it may not be the most carbon friendly thing to do, which is get on a plane in Salt Lake city and fly to South Africa. Um, I, I still would love to, I would love to do it at some point in time. So aside from getting on a plane and flying, uh, to Johannesburg to see you in person, uh, how might people get in touch with you to learn more or, um, you know, I, I don't know what other questions so, they might have. I'm a great fan of LinkedIn. I think it's a wealth of knowledge. Uh, like you as well, I try and post a lot. Mm -hmm. um, we have a lot of other businesses we run that are all linked to recycling. So look me up on LinkedIn. Uh, happy to follow you back. Uh, engage in the dialogue. And Adam, you're welcome here anytime. We, we take a lot of pride in what we've set up. We don't think it's just African standard uh, leaders. It's world standard leaders. Yeah. So would love uh, to have you visit us. You're very welcome. Or as we were talking before the call, why don't we just meet in Chennai and go have some, uh, go have some uh, biryani and. <laughs> been worried about the air quality these days, to be honest. Yeah, that's, that's, that's. We'll come that's to South fair. Africa. Okay. It's, I'll come. It's I'll well come worth a visit. I'll come there. Well, uh, Chandra, this has been great. A, a, a fascinating conversation for me. I hope it was for everyone else. Everyone make sure to reach out on to Chandra on LinkedIn. I'll make sure that your link is in the show notes so that people can connect up with you. Um, awesome. Just so much, so much work to be done. And I appreciate all that you have done and will continue to do for the recycling industry and the packaging industry at large. Signs are positive. Thank you, Adam. Let's share the good news stories out there and happy to connect. It. Appreciate it. Hey, that wraps up another edition of the People of Packaging podcast. It would mean so much if you would like and share, rate, review, subscribe, because we want to change the world because we believe that packaging is awesome. <laughs>